Hello, and welcome to episode 66 of Kaiju Curry House. Tonight, we are talking Reptilicus with the deputy editor of Our Culture Magazine and the legal guardian of Reptilicus's only remaining limb, Mr. Chris Stewartson. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hey, guys. Lovely to be here. Thanks very much for having me back. That's awesome. So, without further ado, we always start the podcast with our everyone's favorite question and ours. What have Kaiju been up to? Chris, you want to start off for us? Uh, sure thing. So um, I've since uh, last time I was on the podcast, I've just been doing a hell of a lot more writing for our culture. I've sent loads of pictures out to other publications as well, um, waiting for, to hear back on them. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, in the meantime, obviously I published in I think January. I'm losing track of things. Uh, my piece on Reptilicus, and um, I'm just hopeful that people have uh, I've read it and hopefully I've come around to, to seeing the movie in a different light. There we go. Alex, what have Kaiju been up to? I've been avoiding spoilers on the internet. Oh! Uh, hard to do. Yeah. Um, which is tricky for a film that I'm not massively kind of excited about. I've still kind of wanted to keep a facade of being amped for it. And I've just thought, well, how do I navigate this? And then all of the toys were advertised. I'm like, oh, the toys are spoilers. Great. And then the director of the film is holding the toys. Okay, so that, that's, that's then the spoiler. So I've just kind of been going, ah, oh, the internet's not a great place to be right now for Godzilla versus Kong. So I've been actively avoiding um, the internet just to kind of try and keep a, some sense of mystery and excitement about the film. And then... I have been looking through other kaiju media and frankly, nothing is tickling my pickle. Dare I go back to my old phrase? Nothing is really standing out as exciting um, no, other than Godzilla Singular Point. That okay. I am excited about. And Shin Ultraman. That looks pretty dandy. Those are the two that kind of stand out, but nothing's really made me go, ooh, I really want to see that. So uh, yeah, I'm... I'm fresh out of um, material, I'm afraid. Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? I've been doing pretty much the same. I've been trying to avoid spoilers. However, I did have something pop across my radar earlier today. It was a Godzilla Dominion. I don't even want to call it spoiler, but it was just one image that was just the perfect bit of lore building for me. It, it's not even terribly relevant. I'll give you all like a spoiler warning, but it just giant lemurs are canon now. And that made me really happy. Okay. That, that that was my thing today so you know Godzilla Dominion there's like one small picture with giant lemurs and it made me happy how giant are these lemurs uh, quite, quite giant are they like, just large lemurs how size um, Godzilla sized Godzilla sized Godzilla sized lemurs <laughs> yeah there are two of them it made me really happy but it was just on like the Amazon you know how they show like look inside this book and it's flipping through it as you're on there so it made me happy i was just like lemurs because my experience of lemurs is restricted to visits to the zoo and watching madagascar that's about it <laughs> yeah. sort of the beloved king julian and the zoo so i don't really have much experience of lemurs this is the giant king julian yeah but it's it's pretty awesome and um my little buddy uh who hangs out in the house with me uh he loves lemurs, so I'm going to have to drop that little nugget of knowledge on him and mm. just watch his 
you know, afraid to explode. But yeah, today has been all about avoiding spoilers, pre-ordering Godzilla Dominion and Kingdom Kong because Kingdom Kong finally came up on Amazon that I could see to order it. So that was a thing. That's good. And I watched Reptilicus today because I wanted it to be fresh in my mind. And I will say it is a much better film than I used than I thought it was upon my first viewing. I've gone back and I've watched it. And I think for the sake of what they were going, what they were dealing with in the version that I've seen, it, it's okay. It has a very unique premise and I, I quite enjoy it. Paul, take it away, man. What have Kaiju been up to? Yeah. Um, same as you avoiding social media in general, I think just to make sure I can't get anything spoiled. Although I don't, no, when Godzilla versus Kong is coming out in the UK at the moment, is it I mean, is it the end of the month or is it May now? That's Chris. Um, so, I, I, are, you, are you aware of when it's coming out? Because I, I know that you're not massively amped for it, but um... <laughs> um, I think we're getting it sometime. I think for some reason, thirty first of March is sticking out in my mind. I'm not sure exactly why. Yeah, um, that's what I, I have as well. Yeah, I, I think it, it might be 31st of March, and I think that might be when it's available to get uh, on demand, like, you know, online. I have no idea if or when it's coming out in cinemas. I know I saw something a couple of days ago about Cineworld having some kind of deal with it. But so, to be, yes. I think, to be honest, yeah, uh, like Alex said, I'm really, because I've not been that interested in, in kind of keeping up with it, I've kind of let all the information about it kind of slip by. So for the best. I have researched this exhaustively because okay. <laughs> I want to see this movie. I'm tired of waiting. So uh, I went on. I went on and looked, and it was confirmed that we will be able to stream it through some digital source on April first, which is a great day to put that down. You know, yeah. um, and then the BBC released an article couple of days ago as at the time of this recording and they said that Cineworld had gotten exclusive rights to a lot of Warner Brothers pictures that would otherwise be premiering on HBO Max or digital media and that exclusivity was to be released in theaters 30 days before they went online to stream and the article said that Godzilla versus Kong would be the first film that they would be showing at Cineworld theaters okay that's great. And they also clarified that I think that the contract comes into play like later this year slash a year away, something like that. But what the article didn't really clarify was whether or not Godzilla versus Kong was going to release uh, in May, you know, like, and then we would start the 30 day ticker from that point or if we were getting it April 1st, as had been previously confirmed, and then yeah. Cineworld is just going to open up and have Godzilla versus Kong in May, and that is going to be exclusive to that cinema because everybody wants to see it on a big screen because they're giant monsters. And it will just be the first movie that they show, you know, with no exclusivity within regards to online streaming because it had been previously confirmed. So that that's, that's as clear of, as mud thanks yeah that that, that just kind of <laughs> threw a bit of a spanner into my brain but i'm really hoping that i get to just you know click on amazon prime or what have you on april 1st and hopefully it's there so that i can watch it and avoid as many of the crazy spoilers as possible because yeah. i think waiting april and then potentially a portion of may to see this movie without having it completely ruined by the internet 
it would be a hard thing to do. But I guess we'll know when you listen yeah. to this recording. <laughs> that that would be it, yeah. So. We'll wait and see. I think in, in terms of guilty parties, the internet is up there with scientists and films, <laughs> kind of people who meddle yes. and make the world a terrible place. The internet and scientists. We don't like but, the scientists. Joe, how is it? What, what's it feel like caring about anything and being excited? What's that feel like? Tell I, me. I, I, we just released an, an episode previously. It was our King Kong versus Godzilla 1962 debrief. And I, I, I've let you guys know there's a lot riding for me in family hierarchy matters. So I have been trolled relentlessly over the course of my life that Kong beat Godzilla. So I just have... I don't know. I just have points writing on this. I just, I just want my street, my kaiju street cred to come up a little bit in the family. So, Ugh, I, I just, say. yeah. I will. I, and the thing is, is I don't actually know who wins. Like I'm going into this with all of the surprise. Yeah, still that's here. what I want. Yeah, I have that's why I want to see who, it as soon as possible. I have people who actually message me this stuff and kindly don't. But like I want, to, I want to go and see this movie without anything. I've heard a whole bunch of really lovely things. Like you'll be really excited. It's really great. Hollow Earth, new critters, fantastic. If you want to give me like new critter alert, that's great. But I don't want to know who wins. That that that's the one thing that I don't want to know. So, okay. The blurb um, as a review did say something along the lines of. Like fast, and, like, like fast and Furious with monsters. And then I had suddenly a flashback of Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. And I imagined oh. kind of some... So I think there's going to be memes around that. But let's bring this back to Reptilicus, because this is why we're here tonight. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. The world's most deadly um, puppet. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we need Reptilicus. The world needs Reptilicus. Chris, to our Lehman listeners... Can you tell us just what is Reptilicus? What's this film all about in simple terms? Uh, well, it's, it's the Danish masterpiece, as I call it. It's been snubbed at the Oscars every single year. Uh, but uh, for, seriously... They've re-released it every year. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Reptilicus is a 1961 uh, Danish-American giant monster film um, that was a co-production between uh, Denmark's Saga Studio and American International Pictures. And it was released in the United States in uh, January of 1963. And after several years, um, I'll hopefully be able to go into these details later because there was a, a hell of a lot that, <laughs> that went on between its Danish release in 61 and its American release in 63. Um, but it's about uh, a piece of flesh that is dug up from the ice underneath uh, Scandinavia and it is alive it's a piece of reptile and it's growing and it and it's, it starts off as a tail it eventually forms into a giant creature the full reptilicus uh, which uh, who promptly goes on a rampage in Copenhagen and the military eventually find a way to dispose of reptilicus which is to say they fire a sedative underneath his armor plating and then presumably they destroy him um but of course earlier on in the uh, in the film one of his uh, limbs Spoilers! <laughs> earlier on in the film one of his limbs gets blown off and at the end of the movie we see that limb twitching at the ocean floor suggesting that there may have been a sequel but obviously uh, that never came to be it's just a here we go again ending that's, that's it was the blob the question mark for the blob yeah, <laughs> there we go i mean at least the blob did get a sequel yeah it did. And um, there were a couple, uh, didn't the giant claw also have kind of a here we go again ending? I forget. 
It's not quite. It's uh, I know the the shot you mean when the the claw itself is sinking underneath the waves. But oh, I think yeah. that's just meant that's to right. be that it's it's died. <laughs> Why yeah. is this film so notorious? Well, I think part of it is because the English version is so very different from from the Danish cuts, and I think that the AIP cut of Reptilicus is so wonderful completely by accident because I think that on its own it is a completely pitch perfect uh, amalgam of every single science fiction and monster movie cliche from the prior decade from the 1950s you know it, it, it hits all the typical beats that we expect from a film of that sort it has the scientists in the white lab coats it has the stone-faced army generals it has beautiful women screaming at the sight of un some unseen terror it has the shots of screaming crowds running through the city and of course it has a giant monster. So it, it almost is like the perfect cliche of a giant monster, uh, of a giant monster film. And yet it's those, that the reason why it is that way has come about under the most exceptional circumstances. And I think over the years, it's kind of gained notoriety because only, uh, it has only ever been spoken about in negative terms. I mean, uh, for example, Bill Warren in um, his book, Keep Watching the Skies, he called it an atrocity. Uh, Leonard Moulton called, said that it was only good for laughs. And then I think most recently when it was featured on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, I think that reignited interest in it. But I think much as I like Mystery Science Theater 3000, I do uh, have a good laugh with it. And the Reptilicus episode is very, very funny. A, you know, a sad fate awaits the movies that are featured on it because they're kind of forever thought of as as yeah. cheap B movies. I mean, you know, we've seen that with Godzilla vs Megalon and um, Ever a Horror of the Deep. Uh, even though I think those both of those films are great, no, um, no, they, they belong there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, and, and that's the true of so many other movies they've had, like Earth vs the Spider, The Amazing Colossal Man, which I think are genuinely good movies. And obviously that's, you know, there, there's other things, other movies shown on MST3K, which aren't so good. Like, you know, Manos, The Hands of Fate is probably not a contender for preservation in the Library of Congress, but many of the other films that are shown are actually quite good. And I think unfortunately being featured on Mystery Science Theater means that if audiences do seek them out, it's on the basis of, oh, well, this'll be a silly one. This'll be bad because it was on MST3K. And I think that is sort of all, all of these things have have come together to make it so that now Reptilicus is thought of kind of just as a joke, which is a shame because I think that it has a lot to offer. I think it does have a lot to offer. I mean, when you look at Reptilicus's plot, I mean, quite simply, like you said, it's just like we find cellularly active tissue and permafrost, we dig it up and it starts to regenerate itself into a monster. I mean, that to a degree, that's almost John Carpenter's the thing, you know, picking and choosing a few elements that, you know, were excluded. But if you take that and you put in a kaiju, you know, you get a lot of, you know, interests that are, you know, viable in both communities. And I think that it is a really good premise because it starts off really slowly and then it just kind of escalates. It has a good pace throughout the film, I thought. So you start out, you know, with the guys discovering it, there's a bit of exposition, exposition on what they found, why it's unique, why it's pertinent. And then you have these scientists that are examining, you know, this specimen in a lab. And, you know, there things happen and they aren't necessarily outside the realm of what you could consider normal or what's happened in there. I'm sure that there have been lots of like faux pas and lab accidents where they found something and it's accidentally defrosted. 
but that isn't even necessarily what you know kills the specimen. It's what you know lets them find out like ah this thing is active. So when they find out it's active, they'll do the logical thing like okay it's regenerating. It's a dinosaur. Yeah, we'll have some of that. So they put it in a vat and oh dear. But it's just I find it fascinating, and I think it's actually a pretty decent plot, but perhaps the execution could have been a little bit different if they'd gone maybe a little bit lower key with the monster and maybe not just ticked on every little design aspect that they could. I think that they could have gotten a lot more uh, bang for their buck. But then I think about bang for their buck, and you may know this, Chris, but how many tanks and flamethrowers did we see in there and bazookas? Did they necessarily spend their plot you know, spend their money in the right plot points where their monster looks like that. Well, I, I, <laughs> to be honest, I quite like the, the look of the, the Reptilicus puppets. Um, I think that uh, it, it's quite, I think there's something about it that's really wonderful because I think it's, it's the only screen monster that I think has truly captured, uh, you know, medieval dragon uh, illustrations that you'd see. Um, they, they have the very peculiar look to them and I think Reptilicus captures that wonderfully. The when wings, it comes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, there were two, I believe, two puppets constructed for Reptilicus, uh, made by uh, model artist or uh, Orla Heyer. And one of them was a larger scale puppet, which features more prominently in the Danish cut. And then there's the smaller scale puppet, which you see more of in the AIP cut. And not simply because they had more shots of it, but rather because they repeated effect shots of it at a, at a slower speed. Um, which does admittedly look quite cheap and doesn't do the prop any favours. Um, when you come to the military, now the interesting thing there is the fact that uh, Sidney Pink, the director, he had an unprecedented level of support for Reptilicus because one of the film's co-financiers, uh, Leo Bertelsen, uh, he was something of a, uh, a Danish war hero in uh, in. In, Den in Denmark. And he had, according to Sidney Pink, he had run the, the fiercest underground cell uh, in World War II and had, uh, had killed, and his group had killed more Nazis than anybody else. Now, whether or not that's Sidney Pink, uh, you know, exaggerating it for the sake of a good story, I don't know. But the fact that one of the film's co-financiers was a Nazi killer is a big point in the film's favour, in my opinion. And uh, one of the things that he meant, uh, and him being involved in the production, meant that Sidney Pink had a, a basically unprecedented access to Denmark's military. And that was also because um, Saga Studios' uh, owner, um, Fleming John Olsen, he was a member of Denmark's uh, majority political party at the time. And so through these governmental uh, connections, they were able to have access to the uh, Danish military and navy, and so all of the footage you see in Reptilicus of the military attacking Reptilicus—that's not stock. That's not stock that's, footage. That's no. all shot for the production, which that's is really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Isn't and, it? and especially when you consider, you know, especially for AIP's cut of the film, you know, AIP's modus operandi is low-budget exploitation. Lots of their films feature, and lots of contemporary genre movies feature lots and lots of stock footage. I mean, you know, look at Beginning of the End, uh, Deadly Mantis, uh, Invaders from Mars. All of those films feature copious amounts of stock footage, um, but all of it is new and exclusive to Reptilicus, which is insane. It's, it's incredible to think of. So what budget was this movie done for? Um, I am not sure of the exact uh, number, um, I, I think it was basically uh, 
part of the money came from AIP, part of the uh, part of the money came from Saga Studio. I'm not sure on the exact amount though. I'll tell you what, we'll take our first break. When we return, we'll give an, uh, we'll give an amount for that budget. How does that sound? I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll do some detective work here. We will, yeah. <laughs> Be right back. Hey there, listeners. So we didn't actually go back to the budget topic, and I thought I'd better quickly insert it in the break here. After a bit of research, we found out that Reptilicus had a budget of merely $100,000. Now, in comparison, Gorgo, the British film shot in the same year, had a budget of $650,000. So you can see why Reptilicus maybe doesn't look fantastic, but um, hey, just thought I'd better bring that up. And now back to the show. Welcome back to the second part of Kaiju Curry House. We are joined today by Chris Stewardson, who is the deputy editor for Our Culture Mag, who recently wrote an article titled In Defense of Reptilicus. Now, Chris, to quote you, you are not an ironic consumer of this film. You do not love it because it's so bad that it's good. So In Defense of Reptilicus, which is the title of your article, why do you love this film so much? I think part of it is definitely its very colourful and wild production history. You know, this is a film whose very existence is a point of interest in its own right, because, you know, judging but just by the AIP version, it has an unprecedented scale to it that AIP's releases really wouldn't have had. Often, obviously, many of their foreign releases that they picked up, uh, as you'll know, like Godzilla versus The Thing, um, they had a, a big scale to them. But generally speaking, because their modus operandi was low-budget exploitation, the fact that Reptilicus has such a scale to it, you know, you know, where you have pretty much the entire city of Copenhagen mobilized to shoot Reptilicus is just, it's, it's so wild. And the Danish version of the film as well, you know, all the, the people involved in its production from the actors like Dirk Passer to, you know, people like Leo Bertelsen, one of the film's, you know, uh, co-financiers, it's just fascinating. And then I think the film itself is just a wonderful pitch perfect you know, final hurrah for the previous decade's giant monster uh, science fiction films. I, I just have nothing but joy when I watch it. Well, thank you for that. Um, you're talking repeatedly about the AIP version and the Danish version. So as I understand it, the AIP version was what was released in uh, North America two years later in 1963. And he said that the Danish version was obviously the original one filmed in 1961, am I right? Well, they were actually filmed uh, more or less at the same time because <laughs> this is a really complicated way of them shooting it. Uh, they shot Danish and English versions simultaneously with the, the cast speaking both English and Danish. And Sidney Pink would film his version, he'd shoot a scene, and then the film's Danish uh, director, Paul Bang, he would come in, change the lighting setup slightly and reshoot the scene. And uh, as Sidney Pink notes in his autobiography, um, <laughs> uh, it was a very stupid way to shoot a movie. And in his opinion, they should have just shot one version first and then shot the second rather than doing it scene by scene. And then what happened was uh, Sidney Pink began assembling his English version of the film, uh, you know, obviously with, the, with all the cast speaking in their, you know, their, you know, their natural Danish accents. And that was when 
uh, AIP got a chance to see it. So Sam Arkoff and James H. Nicholson. And specifically, Sam Arkoff uh, went to Denmark to see the cut of the film. And he talks about this in his autobiography. And he was horrified by it. And specifically, he was horrified by it because of the Danish accents. And this is really interesting. He, he basically said that right now, or in that, you know, in that form, it's in a form of English that American audiences won't recognize. So even though those were natural Danish accents speaking English, it didn't fit the idea of what a Danish accent sounded like to an American audience. And so a very convoluted legal battle then ensued where you know lots of different sources vary on who instigated it but nevertheless it dragged out so long and AIP eventually recut and redubbed the film themselves so the AIP version you're no longer hearing uh, the actual Danish actors speaking English then it's completely dubbed over um, and in fact an interesting uh, point about the English version is that uh, for the character of uh, Dr Dalby um, Oh, not Dr. Dalby, uh, Professor Otto Martens, played by Asborn Anderson. He was dubbed over by uh, Robert Cornthwaite, who, uh, obviously, if you've seen uh, The Thing from Another World, uh, you'll recognise him as having played uh, Dr. Arthur Carrington, the, the scientist who, who wants to, to, to make contact with the alien, played by, obviously, uh, James Arness. Yeah, that didn't go very well, but good on him. That was awesome. <laughs> I love that movie. I'm I just really confused by this recording process. I've, I, there's only one of a film that I know that they filmed in two different like, there's two different films at the same time. Why would it? Why on earth have they done this? Why would they not just record it once and then dub? If well, the I... idea sounds complicated, in actuality it was worse. It's a wonderful yeah. quote in your article. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fantastic. And I think part of it was simply down to uh, certainly Sidney Pink's. Uh, inexperienced because he again in his autobiography he talks very much about how at that time he was very inexperienced and he was really kind of blagging his way through um, the whole experience in fact <laughs> obviously if you've seen the film you'll know that there's a sequence in Tivoli Gardens in uh, in Copenhagen where you have the song Tivoli Nights sung by Berth Vilk and that's actually a live recording that's not playback and the reason for that uh, was because at that time, he had no idea what playback was. So he intended to shoot that sequence in the same way that he was shooting the rest of the film with live takes. Huh. And when Paul Bang, the Danish director, wanted playback prior to shooting that <laughs> sequence, he hadn't, Sidney Pink hadn't the vaguest idea what he was talking about. And, you know, he, he decided to play it off as, you know, oh, yeah, playback's not something we do anymore. It's kind of an old fashioned thing. Um, you know, even though actually no playback could have really helped them. So I really do think that part of the reason why Reptilicus had such a, a very convoluted production was simply because Sidney Pink was relatively inexperienced at the time. So it's also just a miracle that the film, you know, ended up <laughs> as professional as it, as it is. What I found um, interesting on reading your article was that there was going to be two musical numbers in, in one of the versions, the, the saga version, I believe. Yeah, the saga version has both the Tivoli Gardens uh, scene, but it also has a wonderful scene of Dirk Passer singing to a group of children a song called Tilicus. And he basically leads them around this garden just singing about Reptilicus. And it's wonderful. It's very, very silly. And I think 
lots of uh, you know lots of people might watch that and think, God, what the hell is this? You know, uh, but I, yes, it's, it's, <laughs> I probably would. <laughs> um, yeah, but but <laughs> but it's I, I think it's partly uh, a cultural misunderstanding because uh, I went and saw lots of clips and 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 you know tried to track down lots of the films that Dirk Passer was in. And in lots of them, there are just these, these musical interludes with him singing songs. And lots of them were in the, the soldier comedies that he was in. So again, those are part of the reason why he, why he got the gig on Reptilicus. And uh, I, I think therefore, especially when you cast Dirk Passer, this enormous comedy legend, you know, you put him rep in Reptilicus, obviously he's there for a, for a comedic like purpose. And I think that interlude, that musical interlude is part of a Danish comedy mold that perhaps you know, we're not that as, as familiar with. Okay. Does any part of that song survive to this day? Yeah, the, the, in, the, in the Danish cut, you can watch the whole thing. Uh, in fact, I believe if you look up uh, Tilicus uh, <laughs> on YouTube, you might be able to find that sequence. Whoa! <laughs> there you go, Joe. This movie just got so much better. <laughs> Have any um, production, you know, physical copy companies plan the idea of releasing like a deluxe version with the original Danish version and the AIP, Chris, because, you know, something so like Arrow Video would probably have a field day with your essay and then just all of the nonsense that went into it and things like little kind of clips of the bad singing. I, I'm just surprised that there aren't more copies out there because I struggle to find anything beyond mm. kind of online streaming. So I think uh, you know, part of it is because, um, you know, it depends on who holds the licenses because AIP's library is sort of a bit messy because mm. part of it is held by MGM because right. basically when AIP went, uh, Sam Arkoff sold AIP in, I believe, 1980 or 1979 to Filmways and then Filmways was bought by Orion and now Orion is owned by MGM. So MGM had a huge amount of the AIP catalogue but then it also doesn't help that because James H. Nicholson left AIP uh, in, I believe, the early 70s, because he then did, he had a four picture deal with 20th Century Fox. That unfortunately, he wasn't able to complete because uh, he passed away. Yeah, um, and so him kind of leaving the company, I think, also affected the, the licensing and even before that because he got divorced, I believe, in the mid-60s, that affected his sharehold in the company, which I believe had previously been 50-50 with Arkoff. And then afterwards, it, the, the, there was an imbalance. And that also affected who has the rights. And I believe uh, his widow um, holds several of the AIP titles as well. So it's, it's all very, you know, rights issues abound. It's messy. Which is, which is very, mm. yeah, very messy. Mm. I think... Uh, Reptilicus, the AIP cut, has been put out uh, on DVD several times. Uh, like, I know it's had a Midnight Movies release. Uh, Fabulous Films put it out on the UK, in on UK DVD a couple of years ago. Uh, and that, you can get that pretty easily. As far as a Blu-ray release is concerned, I know Scream Factory did one on a double release with AIP's Octopus. No, not Octopus, Tentacles, what am I talking about? And, um, and I think the Danish cut, again, the, the further difficulty might be because that's held by Saga Studio. I don't know if Saga Studio still exists and if they do, mm. what their rights issue is now. So I think from a licensing perspective, it might be quite difficult to put them both together. But at the same time, I really, really wish 
that a company would do that because I think having both of them together um, would be such you know such a great opportunity for fans especially to see the Danish version kind of for the first time um, I think that would be really special and uh, obviously so if, if, if any companies are listening out there I would be more than happy to lend uh, lend the help uh, even if it was just to write an essay. No, for sure. And you, I mean, you never know, um, because there's, there's obviously love for this film. Y you are living proof of that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> when I watched the AIP version of it, I confess that I watched it over two nights. I split it in two. And I found it a slog. I'm not going to lie, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I found the AIP version hard work. But when Joe was saying, you know, about the uh, the actual you know the model bones of it the plot well for me I found the the acting and the delivery of the lines the hardest part I found a lot of the acting quite wooden and I just didn't gel with the script when Reptilicus came along I was more captivated so I I, I really started to enjoy it and then when it spewed that green venom yeah. Yeah. I thought oh no. Oh. <laughs> and I just wish that they'd not got him spewing any green venom and just ate people and did the obligatory oh. little legs yeah. waving. Um, and now, now Paul's going to comment on that because there I are when people get eaten, aren't there? There are. That looks awful when they get eaten. Um, they should have just yeah. used another small puppet, to be fair. I don't understand why they couldn't have done that. Well, that was, that was again, that was a change made to the AIP version because in the Danish cut, he does not spit green gunk. And does he, he not? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. That, was a, that was an optical effect added by AIP. And in the Danish cut, uh, that shot of <laughs> of the farmer uh, sliding down Reptilicus's gullet. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, it's, uh, it's like, yeah, that inexcusably poor shot is not in the Danish version. In fact, in the Danish version, in, the, in that sequence, uh, the the farmer still runs out, and then it and then obviously it cuts in the AIP version to you know the picture, you know the cutout sliding down Reptilicus's throat. But in the Danish version, a giant Reptilicus foot crushes the house and we see that and it's actually quite an impressive effect um and then you know i i don't know why aip decided to cut that because it looks very i mean hell it looks a hell of a lot better than the the stock image i say a stock image it was actually a photograph of um co-writer id melchior's son which was then you know pasted onto that shot of reptilicus so <laughs> uh, again these are all things that i think that you know I do, I do agree that, you know, that is an inexcusably poor shot and the, the Reptilicus spewing green stuff is a weird choice. And again, these were all things just done for the AIP version. And I think it, you know, I, I don't blame you guys for thinking that they look bad and look weird and, and, and are a bit jarring. And again, I think that's part of the reason why this film has had such a tough time because for so long, it's only been the AIP version that, you know, people have been able to watch. I don't like the fact that the dad abandons his family while the house is getting crushed. <laughs> Jarring is the best word for it, actually. I prefer that because when I was watching Reptilicus and Reptilicus appears, I thought, oh, that looks all right. Yeah, I can see why there's some kind of appeal. And that part where there's, there's the two people at the beach side and then Reptilicus appears. And it, it's quite kind of comical and low budget B movie. But I was like, yeah, it's fine. And suddenly just a pleh, spat of um, <laughs> green. And I'm like, Ah, why have you gone for that? I'm just thinking in terms of kind of the available special effects of the time, 
it's just it's an odd choice because it doesn't look effective and I, I, I was yeah. just, I was bewildered by it more than anything else and then much later on towards the very end of it in the last couple of minutes is that part where that person is driving along and then just kind of gets crushed by reptilians dropping down and that looked far better just uh, far more menacing to see reptilians kind of squash something than spit at it so <laughs> yeah, it is quite funny just just think you know this this radio this prehistoric monster that is you know regenerated and the first thing it does is just vomit everywhere <laughs> yes well this, this certainly is that yeah we're talking about ineffectual shots um i'm willing to forgive quite a bit in this movie because i really like b movies i, f I feel like you get more creativity out of the B movie, out of people that are trying new things, different things, and going off on their own tangents. So I, I have a lot of forgiveness in that sense. But my favorite scene, that's just, for me, I was just like, what? So after Reptilicus gets hit by flamethrowers, after we've decided that blowing him up is maybe not the best idea. Um, or no, it's slightly before that. Take that back. I apologize. Dear listeners, forgive me for what I've said. You should take that back. Yeah, they hit him with flamethrowers because obvious way to make something angry and make it go away. Uh, rather than like show him walking or just sinking into the sea, we have that puppet, that prop, that reptilicus creature prop being dragged slowly with wires into the water and it's on its side, which makes it even better. I just, I started cracking up when I was watching that. I was just like, oh dear. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a shame because in that scene when Carl uh, Otterson in a very dynamic you know, piece of uh, machismo action leaps onto the, uh, the, the tank and starts blasting away with the, uh, the flamethrower, there's a shot in the Danish version which is of the tank, it, it's a point of view shot from the tank's perspective moving towards Reptilicus and it looks amazing and it's cut in the AIP version. And, and again, you know, that whole sequence where, you know, they fire the flames at Reptilicus looks great. And then, yeah, admittedly, in both the Danish cut and the AIP cut, when, uh, when Reptilicus kind of slinks off into the ocean, it does look uh, a tad pathetic. <laughs> he goes butt-handed to him, that's for sure. Prehistoric, <laughs> creatures, prehistoric creatures just don't do well with flamethrowers. It's one in fact. No. I've, I've seen films with worse special effects, though. I can... I could forgive the film. Have you seen other films with a flaming puppet <laughs> being dragged on its side? I mean, like, that's a pretty no, probably have. to be fair. <laughs> I prefer Reptilicus, AIP cut, to Legend Legends. of Dinosaurs and Monsters <laughs> No, I'm never going to no. forget forgive I suffered this. that festering turd of a film. No, I preferred that. You preferred The Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Generally did, yes. Oh. That is a film that's so bad it's that's good. Because it's so bad it's good. No, we have it's, a, no it's... You have a country music festival in the middle of a lake and they all get eaten by a Chris, dinosaur. what are your thoughts on The Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds? Well, you know, sacrilege. I've not actually seen it, but one thing that don't I can worry. one thing <laughs> I can at least to. say soundtrack alone. Brilliant. One thing I can at least say is at least Reptilicus has a title that is grammatically correct, as yeah. opposed to <laughs> Legend of <laughs> Legend of Dinosaurs and, and Monster Birds. Monster Birds, birds yeah. And there are no dinosaurs or monster birds. No dinosaurs or monster birds in there. Um, but the fact that I'm just thinking about kind of films that I've seen recently that I've, you know, I've struggled with. 
and the legend of dinosaurs and monster birds the choice of music is amazing because you've got country you've got sort of 60s porn jazz in it and then you kind of just got all kinds of stuff but in terms of bringing it back to reptilicus i was thinking about parallels with kind of cuts the whole process chris reminds me of veran the unbelievable i was thinking that um, oh, yeah. The idea yeah, that yeah. kind of one original version can be so distorted in another cut, because when I saw Varan the Unbelievable, I thought, hang on a second, Joe wants a 30 centimeter figure, <laughs> the monster from this film. Joe, I mean, Joe's got it, he's pointing to it right now, listeners. Why do you love Varan so much? Because Varan the Unbelievable is a horrible, horrible film. And then Joe said to me, no, you're watching the wrong cut. <laughs> and it, it wasn't just a case of kind of, oh, it's dub versus sudden. No. No. Um, <laughs> it is the most terrible, racist, culturally insensitive piece of garbage you've ever seen. I, I mean, the, the, the only way that you could make it work is if, you know, you, you think that actually it's a deliberate satire mm. on, uh, you know, American intervention and colonialism because... <laughs> Yeah, it is a dreadful cut of the film. So bad. So bad. And the thing is, is Varan's a really cool monster. Even his name is like a scientific name for lizard. Like they've nailed so many things. But yeah, yeah. terrible cut. It's it's been a good couple of years since I've seen the Japanese cut of the of, of Varan, um, which I remember enjoying quite a bit. Um again, it's been so long. Uh, because I again the, the look of the, the design. Of, of Varan is so wonderful and obviously it's just such a shame that um, uh, he hasn't made a proper comeback uh, since his uh, brief cameo in Destroy All Monsters. But yeah, the, the comparing them on a cut basis, um, I would say the American cut of Reptilicus I don't think is as extreme as Varan the Unbelievable in the sense that, you know, it hasn't had actors added into the proceedings. No. Um, and I don't think it's it's certainly not as you know it's not offensive in this in the way that you know Veron the Unbelievable is just dreadfully racist mm. <laughs> it's just inexcusably yeah. just inexcusably awful um mm. and I think whereas the, obviously with the American cut of Reptilicus it's not like you have you know <laughs> it's not like you have an American character added in to go hello your country amuses me your silly silly little customs you you savages you know it's you know it's not like that which is practically what Veronica unbelievable is and oh jesus christ that's a yeah absolutely i mean when i watched the aip cut of um reptilicus i found it a slog but at no point i thought oh this is unpleasant and then that's the the difference when i I turned off around the unbelievable american cut like i just kind of i was watching it on amazon prime and i was like oh you know what it will do and halfway through, I said, this is dog shit. I'm turning it off. And on that note, we're up to our second break. Thank you. My name is Connor Baxter, and I'm a freelance 3D artist. My specialty is sculpting various monsters and kaiju found in pop culture, which are then converted into model kits via 3D printing. This is something I enjoy doing very much. And if you're interested in my work and like a private commission, then check out my portfolio site at invaderdesign.co.uk, where you can find my work and contact information. Or check out my Twitter at invader underscore design. Cheers. 
Hello and welcome back to the third and final part of Kaiju Curry House. I'm here with my usual co-host Alex and Joe and our special guest uh, we've got Chris Stewardson, the deputy editor from Our Culture Mag. Um, so Chris, I like the other hosts have watched the AIP cut of Reptilicus and for better or worse I would say while I really enjoyed reading your essay about the film it's certainly a case to me where the the story behind the film and the different cuts was far more interesting than the actual film. Got a bunch of haters here tonight. Come yeah, I, I feel bad <laughs> for saying it, especially when uh, I think it's right right near the end of your essay. You say, um, "Ask yourself, did you have a good time?" And I was thinking, Do you know what? no, I really didn't. <laughs> but that being said, you're savage, Paul. I, I feel so, yeah. always so savage. But then at the same time, the premise is decent and. And the effects, while not great, I can I can look past that. It's the um, the the delivery of the lines. It just it, they just didn't feel right. They're hard work the delivery of the lines, it, aren't they? It it was hard, yeah, yeah to to listen to that and um, and the comic relief was a little bit too much. But it was I, I can understand that can be a you, you shut know. your mouth. It was amazing. <laughs> just it, think. <laughs> Just thinking, Paul, when you said about kind of the story behind it and Chris's essay, it makes me think of kind of, you know, when you get these films that have that development hell, it gets. Yes. And like it's totally different genre, but the story behind kind of the staggered eventual release of New Mutants, because that was where because it got trapped in like the the legality of, you know, um, was it 20th, 20th century Fox and moving over to Marvel and it had been filmed, you know, years back, and then eventually it gets released. And when does it finally get released? In the middle of a couple of lockdowns. And I went to see that film. And I shouldn't have went to see that film. Uh-oh. Not because of COVID, but I, I just shouldn't have seen it. There was no reason to have seen that film. It shouldn't have been made. But the development wow. hell behind it, it, it was a terrible film. I enjoyed it. Um, well, I, I don't <laughs> like you anymore. Um, <laughs> But what what I mean is that the the kind of the story behind the story, yeah, is more interesting than like, the film oh, wow. itself. Yikes! They had a really rough time with this, and then you kind of, as a result of that, you sympathise with it, and then it kind of you soften, you kind of your critique of it. Yeah, we're going to talk yeah. about a, a troubled production, mm. the uh, Rex Harrison version of Doctor Doolittle. That was just a nightmare, and it was not just because there are just very strong personalities on set, but the animals that they had to have there, it's just like absolutely hilarious stories about all the malarkey that the staff and like the director, the actress they had to put up with with the animals. Of course, the animals were putting up with them too, mm. but just the story behind that movie. I enjoy that movie. I grew up with that movie, but if you read what they went through during the production of that film, you're like, yeah, wow, how are they all actually smiling on screen? Chris, what do you think is the legacy of Reptilicus? Well, I think certainly it's it's such a fascinating part of, of science fiction history. Um, and I think generally it is overlooked. Um, I think quite honestly, you know, even though you guys haven't had the best of times <laughs> with the AIP cut, I'm more than delighted that you just gave it a chance because I think ultimately that is what Reptilicus hasn't had. You know, you don't have years and years of, of, of derision 
for people to go, oh yeah, I'll, I'll give this a fair chance. Most people are going to go, oh, well, everybody says it's shit, so it, it probably is. So the fact that you went in open-minded, that's wonderful. That is more than the film usually gets. And I think, I think the legacy of Reptilicus may be stronger if the Danish cut was more widely accessible, oh, because I, I, so. I do think that the, the Danish cut is, is significantly better. I think, like you guys were saying about the, the delivery in the AIP version and the dubbed performances, I totally understand that it, it does sound a bit stilted and it is a bit naff. It's not that great. But in the Danish cut, again, hearing the voices of the actual performers, there's so, suddenly you find there's an urgency to things. The characters come to life a bit more. It's, it, they're ultimately so much more charismatic. And I think that Reptilicus's legacy has somewhat been hindered by its release circumstances, by the fact that we've all only seen the AIP cut for, for so many years. And so all I can hope for the future is that eventually we'll get a release of the film which includes the Danish cut. And finally, the film can kind of have room to breathe where, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting that everybody suddenly thinks it's a, you know, a masterpiece, but people can stop thinking of it as, oh, it's a terrible, you know, bottom of the barrel kind of film. And more going, I may not have enjoyed it that much, but eh, it wasn't that bad, which is a hell of a <laughs> lot, which is a hell of a lot more than it's currently had. I would absolutely, if, if the Danish version came, you know, easily available, if it was there on Amazon, I would absolutely give it another try. I'll say that. I'm going to hunt it down now. No, oh, that's perfect. That's, that's my job. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, the, the thing is, it's like, I, 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 I'm probably one of the two people here discussing this movie that owns it. So I'm going to go and hunt down, you know, the other version, which didn't exist. I'm one of those types where I like to have the library. I like to have the collection. I like to have the different versions of all mm. the releases. And again, it, like you just said, there, different releases have different things to offer. We have Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and we have Gojira. And they aren't necessarily completely different films, but they are different flavors of yeah, essentially the same film. Yeah, absolutely. And we just find like so much difference, and like there's just a lot of great variety in this genre, and like the way that the films were made, just like these odd little niche things. And I, I, I really am intrigued now to see what the Danish cut would look like and sound like. And I, I want to go after it. Do you have any recommendations for anybody who might want to see this? Is there any place where we could find it? Or do you have any locales that you normally go and look for this sort of thing, Chris? So uh, I believe if you scour the internet, there should, it's probably up there some, somewhere. Um, admittedly, I, <laughs> I have a bootleg because uh, a bootleg copy because I, I really was keen on having seen the Danish cut. Um, and you can find bootleg DVDs around the internet fairly cheaply. Um, obviously, I know that's not for everybody because, you know, people like to have more official versions of things. But at present, it's kind of one of the only it's ways. It's about supporting the release, isn't it? You know, it, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's one of the only ways you have to watch it other than simply, uh, you know, a, a version that you might find online somewhere, which is absolutely fine. Um, so it should be floating around the internet. Uh, I hope that people can find it okay. Um, and again, it's just, again, fingers crossed that within the next couple of years, we'll have a, a company that picks it up and uh, wants to do a, a, you know, a full deluxe release with both versions of the film. Paul, we aren't necessarily looking at you, Aero Video, but you know, we're kind of looking at you. <laughs> Paul and I watched it on Archive, uh, didn't we? 
Yes, film, that's right. Yeah, you, you recommended film archive. And that was split into um, a one-hour section and a 30-minute section. They flowed into each other, um, subject to my Wi-Fi speed, which was a bit um, <laughs> starty. But yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, one thing that I will say in massive defense of this film and other creature cinema of its, you know, of its kind is that I don't particularly get a lot out of films that I perceive as being sterile. And I realize that might sound a bit, a bit pretentious, but I like films when they are a bit rough around the edges. And sometimes it might be that there's been an idea for a story and it's not quite kind of gone as it was planned. And I think in that regard, Reptilicus is a good example of that. And I think that what you said, Chris, echoes that because, you know, it's most definitely not a polished film, but there's tons of ideas going on in that. And you could that... totally remake Reptilicus, couldn't you? You could totally like yeah. reboot it. It'd be, it would be, it'd that be would really be a good candidate for a reboot. I do believe that mm. uh, Sidney Pink actually tried to make uh, an ill-fated sequel around 1999. Uh, with the turn of the millennium uh, unfortunately it didn't get beyond a couple of kind of digital mock-ups um, but it's interesting to think that you know right up until uh, Sidney Pink's passing he was you know he still held Reptilica's deer and uh, yeah I agree with you uh, Alex about the fact that it is you know it, it is rough around the edges it isn't a perfect movie precisely because its circumstances uh, the circumstances of its production were so strange but I ultimately think at the end of the day it entertains me. It, I find it richly entertaining. And ultimately that was what Sidney Pink, AIP and Saga Studio set out to do. They made, they made a film to entertain and to make a buck. And by God, it does that. Well said. I think it's time for us to wrap up uh, with our own recommendations. Paul, if nothing else, what can you suggest to people? Well, when I was reading the essay, the something that, came, that stood out was the fact that you mentioned um, Chris, that no other on-screen monster had captured the look of the European medieval dragon. Mm. And I've been racking my brains trying to think. And yeah, I've, I've, the closest thing I can think of, which isn't a dragon at all, is Manda from Godzilla, <laughs> yes. which no, is obviously a sea that. serpent. Yeah. And so I suppose if you, if you like that kind of style, then there's the kind of solo film, the um, Atragon, I believe it's called, where he's like mm. the underwater battle. But Failing that, I go. I'd say if you like dragons, watch Rain of Fire, because that's a bit of a fan favorite. Dragonheart. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> Sorry, um, didn't like that. Joe, I'm gonna go and recommend a couple of films here. Um, there's a film that popped up on my radar relatively recently and not many people have seen it. I think it's kind of like a remake, a children's remake of Paul Gusari, but Galgameth, um, The Legend of Galgameth, have, have any of you come across that one? Nope. No. Cute, cute, cutesy kid film, but basically you have uh, a prince who's ousted from his castle by, you know, tyrannical uncle and he's given this little protector, like it's like little statue and it turns into a living creature and this creature eats metal and every time it eats metal it gets bigger till eventually it's like the size of a kaiju but the thing that brings it to life is the only thing that can destroy it so the thing that brought him to life is the boy's tears when he was holding it and thinking of his parents so the only thing that can destroy it is salt water 
So it's just, it's a really neat uh, little movie. It had pretty decent special effects. It's kid friendly. It's hard as hen's teeth to find, um, but it is fun if you can get hold of it. And then the other thing that I'm going to recommend because anytime you bring up Fran, you have to recommend the Japanese cut of that film. It is fantastic. Track it down. It is well worth your time. And Varan is a fantastic movie and a great example of what you can do with special effects on a limited budget. Yeah. And for my own recommendation, I'm going to propose that you watch 1969's Gamera versus Giron, or Giron, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, in the spirit that this film is not one of the stronger entries of the shower era from Gamera, Joe disagrees. Joe thinks it is one of the stronger brain entries. eating space babes. I mean, like, it's yeah. zonky, it's um, crazy. It's there. And <laughs> what I will say about Gamera versus Giron is that it is a film. That's it. It's definitely a film. <laughs> um, is it a good film? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm not sure. My three-year-old son I'm sure says it you. is a good film. My son can now sing along to the Gamera theme, out of tune, of course. And my daughter absolutely loves the Gamera films. And watching the Gamera shower series specifically has been joyous for me because, a bit like what you were saying, Chris, earlier, um, the idea that when something kind of gets assigned to the Mystery Science Theatre catalogue, immediately people start seeking films out as, ah, oh, you have to see this, it's terrible. So I don't want to see if it's terrible. And yeah. I only really heard about Gamera films because they were under the Mystery Science Theatre catalogue. And then I watched them with the Arrow release and it's like, okay, I'm just watching them legitimately for what they are. And I sat down and thought, oh boy, here we go. I'm working my way through them. And my mum, um, so my mum and dad there, my mum and dad don't like camera. I'll start that again. My son and daughter, they absolutely adore camera. They could take or leave Godzilla, genuinely. They're not that bothered. They know that daddy likes Godzilla, but um, they love the shower camera films. They get so much joy out of them. And seeing how much they enjoy it, it made me go, you know what? These films were made to be entertaining, and they've achieved that. That's so. That's wonderful to hear. That's 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 really wonderful as a you know to think that those films uh, were made for for children. I mean, children. you know, you listen to Noriaki Ueda talk about you know wanting to to give children a voice in 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 the films uh, that he made, and the fact that you know fifty sixty years on. Yeah. We've got kids today who are lapping it up and are having a great time with that's wonderful yeah. that you know that's you, you kind of you think Noriaki Uesa, you you were absolutely right mate. For sure and my, my children aren't being ironic consumers they're not going ah dad are we going to watch Gamera it's so bad it's good they, they, they love Gamera they think Gamera is wonderful uh, and that's it so that's my recommendation. <laughs> oh, that's Check. wonderful. Yeah no it's good. Uh, Chris Please put out some recommendations to us. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll echo that and I'll say Gamera versus Virus because I really like Gamera versus Virus. I think it's a great movie. I think Jim and Marcel are great and charismatic leads, um, and that's just a wonderful, wonderful film. And Virus is a great villain. I mean, the bit when he you know decapitates all of his henchmen—that's wonderful. Um, I think uh, leading on from Reptilicus, right? 
<laughs> I think leading on from Reptilicus, I'll recommend The Angry Red Planet, which was uh, Sydney Pink's first film in the full picture deal with AIP. Uh, that's, again, it's not a perfect film. It, is, it does show its age at, uh, at times with uh, some uncomfortable uh, and grim sexism. You know, it's inexcusable in that sense. Um, on, but I think you, you can watch it as a, uh, you know, as, a, as a, a very simple science fiction adventure story. It has the rat bat spider of the poster. I mean, just saying it has the rat bat spider is pretty enticing. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, I'm just trying to think what else. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'll, I'll just say, I think a lot of the films from the, a lot of science fiction films from the 1950s deserve a second look because while yes there are a couple that you know actively live up to you know the mostly negative charges made about these films I think a great deal of them are really really wonderful you know I Married a Monster from Outer Space is fantastic I Was a Teenage Frankenstein is 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 wonderful and I Was a Teenage Werewolf is one of the best of the lot so I think you know you could pick any number of the of the the science fiction and horror films that came out in the 50s. And just give them another go and you know if you go in open-minded i think you'll be pleasantly surprised there we go well thank you folks for listening to episode 66 of kaiju curry house please uh look back at our catalog fondly and find episodes that you like comment and tell us which ones those are please so we can make more like them thank you chris for coming on it has been an absolute pleasure talking about reptilicus with you thanks ever so much guys it's been it's been lovely thanks for having me back Please get onto the website Our Culture Mag and check out In Defense of Reptilicus. We will be tweeting that and sharing it with this episode. I think it's very important that you have a read of that to learn the richness of this film. Thanks very much, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks, folks. And as always, keep it kaiju. <laughs>